That was God's plan for Jesus. But those words that were spoken by Isaiah perhaps were also reflective of Isaiah's calling and Jeremiah the prophet's calling, whom God also reminded that before they were born, God had set a plan for them to use them to be prophets who would simply proclaim God's word. And that's God's plan for you and me too. You see, we have had the word proclaimed to us. We came to faith in Jesus as our Savior. And now we have the very words of life to speak to others. So God's plan is for you and me to proclaim God's word. Well, how will that be done? Listen to the next step in being ready. Jesus said, He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. So Jesus is saying that he was made, his mouth was made like a sharpened sword. Now a sword is used to cut. And we know that sometimes the words we speak cut people, hurt people. But those words that we speak can also be like a sharpened sword cutting with God's work behind them. Here's what I mean. Listen to these words from the book of Hebrews as it describes God's word. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There it's telling us God's word is like a sword. It's very powerful in what it can do. It's like a, a surgical tool, a, tool a, a surgeon's scalpel that can cut all the way to our own thoughts and attitudes. It will cut and remove our sin because God's word declares that we are forgiven. And that word can also replace putting an implant in, so to speak, as it gives us the righteousness that we need so we can be before God. So that word we speak is that powerful word. And Jesus spoke that powerful word and, and brought people to faith. And so it is that, that God is also preparing us, that is, making us a sword that has his word. But he also described us as a polished arrow concealed in his quiver. Now, today, if we wanted to have an arrow, we would simply go to the sporting store and buy a nice arrow. But in those days, they had to make their own arrows. So they would look for sticks, sticks that were pretty straight, but you know what? They'd still have to do some carving to them. They'd still have to work to make them straight and polished so they'd be ready for use and then they would put them in their quiver ready to be used at the right time. Well that's how God has shaped us. We were crooked sticks. We have our faults, our weaknesses, but God with his word has, has cut. God with his word has shaped us so that we are like a polished arrow and he simply has us in his quiver waiting for that right time to use us 
aiming us at a target that he has in mind. That's what he did with Jesus. Oh, but, but Jesus wasn't a crooked stick. Jesus was a perfect stick. But in the eyes of others, maybe he looked imperfect. After all, he was just a carpenter's son. He was just a human being. How could he be the savior of the world? But he's God in human form. He's God who's perfect and came and, and he lived that perfect life for us. He, he died that, that death, paying the, the penalty for our sins by dying on the cross for us and then rising again from the dead to assure us that we too will rise to eternal life. Jesus was that perfect arrow that God chose to aim at this world and bring salvation. And now in you and I have become polished arrows also that God has simply prepared to be used for the sharing of the gospel. So we're ready. That's what God has in mind for us. He has made us ready to be used for the gospel. Simply look back at your life and see the experiences that you have had. How did you come to believe in God? How has God given you different uh, abilities and interests? And how has he trained you and shaped you that you now can be used in his kingdom for sharing the faith? Through the word and the sacrament, God brought you to faith. Through these various experiences and peoples in your life, God has shaped you to be a polished arrow. And maybe you're in his quiver, waiting to be used. Maybe he's pulled you out already and aimed you at a target. But be assured of this, God has made you ready to be used to proclaim the gospel. For a moment, let's take our thoughts off of ourselves and let's think of other people. The Lord Jesus reminded us that the harvest is very plentiful, but the laborers are few. In other words, there need to be more workers. He told us what we need to do, to pray. Pray that he, as the Lord of the harvest, would make more workers and send them out into the fields. As you have heard me say before, our church body is experiencing, as other church bodies are too, by the way, a shortage of people who are trained to do ministry, pastors and teachers, people who are ready to give their, their life as their career into the public ministry. In, in our church body, it's, it's become rather serious. That's the word being used. Uh, numbers that I heard this week were that there's like 115 spots needed for pastors. In other words, we're 115 pastors short of doing all the work that we need to have done. And it's not like you just call up the temporary employment agencies and get pastors. It takes eight years at least to train a pastor. And it's similar with teachers. I don't have numbers yet. I'll probably hear it this week at conference. But the need for pastors and principals is also great. We need to do this. We need to ask that God make more people ready. Because our churches and our schools need workers. And I say that 
to you because there have been people in our congregation who have gone on to train to be pastors and teachers. We have some now that are doing it. We should look around and see the young people who are in our church now and encourage them to think about being pastors and teachers. But let's also remember that it's not just the pastors and teachers who do the work. It's all of us. The people in the pew, too, have also been called. They've been prepared by God to work in that field. So listen for his calling, because you're ready. And once a runner is ready, he's set out there in position with the lanes in front of him to start running the race. Let's see how that became part of God's plan for Jesus and us. Isaiah continues to write, He, that is God, said to me, Jesus, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing at all. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. What he's simply reminding us is that just as a runner has been prepared made ready for the race, he's now set. He's put in a position to go ahead with that race. Jesus also was put in that position to be the Savior of the world. Jesus was assigned by God to be a servant. That's what he called him. You are my servant, in whom I will display my splendor. Now, when we think of a servant, you might think of a busboy at a restaurant or something. <laughs> Not a very glorious job, right? Very tedious, you're doing all the kind of messy work. And we might think that's how a servant is. But God said, as my servant, I will display my splendor in you. In Jesus, God's servant, his splendor was displayed. God's splendor, his glory, is his grace that unconditioned, unearned love that he shows to all people. That's God's glory and splendor. And that was so beautifully displayed in Jesus. You see, God sacrificed Jesus with his selfless love. He was only thinking about us. He gave up his son to be the Savior, made him the curse of our sin. In splendor, grace, Jesus gave up his life to give you life. And now God has called us to be servants, to display that splendor of God also. And that's exactly what the position we have is, that of a servant. Not thinking about our needs, but thinking about the needs of others first. That's the focus we are to have. Just look at what Jesus did. He did not consider equality with God something to be hung on to, but he laid it aside so that he could become a servant and take on the sins of the world. He came to save. Even though he was rejected, he continued with that mission to save. 
Sometimes being a servant is not an easy job. But as those words express, we lean on God for strength. And we keep our focus on the goal, which is salvation for all people. Now, the work of a servant sometimes is hard. Sometimes things don't go the way we plan or would like it to go. But the goal is what we must always look at, the salvation of souls. And so for working in the church, it's not a matter of, well, let's build that membership roll up so now we have more people coming. And more people means more hands to do the work and, and the budget will be met. Wrong focus. Looking at the school, it's not, let's get those enrollment numbers up so that we can afford what we're doing. Wrong focus. It's on, let's serve people the gospel. And God will take care of all of the needs that we have. Set. God has prepared us, we're ready, and now he has put us into a position to be in that harvest. And like a runner, there are several lanes in front of us. Those lanes represent our life circumstances, our families, our friends, where we work, where we go to school, our activities in the community, whatever it might be. Those lanes are where God has set us to do his work. Now, if a runner were on that course, I don't know if there's a race course that looks like that, running through all those fields, but it's a, a good illustration of what we're talking about. God has put us in a field to run. And that field might have a lot of distractions. There might be people there who are jeering at us or people who are cheering for us. There could be things that discourage us. There could be things that distract us. As good runners, we have to keep our focus. That is, we have to see what lane I need to keep running in and not become distracted, not get discouraged, but rather keeping our eyes on the prize and running with all that we've got all that the Lord has made of us, all that the Lord has given us, so that we get to that finish line, that goal of sharing the gospel. So, the next thing left is to go. We're ready. We're set in position. So run. This is the encouragement God gives. It's too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. God thinks big. He doesn't think of just Israel. He thought of the whole world, every soul. That's the mission perspective that Jesus had. He came to give his life as a ransom for all. And so it is that God also wants us to have that perspective. He says, go out into all the world and make disciples. Have a big perspective on what that mission field is. So what do you do then when you go? It's to join the mission program. 
join with how the mission is done. Every week in our bulletin, we have listed our, our mission statement as our church, to know the grace of God in Christ, to grow in faith, love, and service, and to go with the gospel into the community and the world. That's what we're about. So here's how your race starts. You start with your family, with the people who are close to you. Are you bringing them God's word? Then you look to your friends, and you begin a conversation that might be simply small talk, but you turn it to big talk. You ask them, finally, about what they believe about God, and what is their relationship with God like? Not getting preachy or condemnatory, but simply finding out, do they believe, and do they walk with God? You know, a great way to do that is to just start here at church. Now, I know we're all believers already, but sometimes we need to just learn how to break the ice with people. And sometimes we need to do that just with the people that we worship with. So like after church, when we're all sitting there in the entryway, go up to somebody you don't know. Maybe you've seen them many times, but just don't know their name. Go up and just say, you know what? I want to introduce myself to you, and I don't know that I know your name. And they're probably in the same situation. Don't be embarrassed, and if you are, who cares, right? You're taking a step to get to know somebody and starting a conversation. So try that after church. But then do the same thing with other people. Turn your small talk into big talk. Then maybe reach out to them and invite them to come here. Uh, maybe for church, but maybe that's too big of a step right away. But the, some of the other events that we have going on, and we've got such a list of events coming up in the next couple of months, you know what it's like. We'll be urging you and supplying you with the materials that you can use to make an invitation to have people come here. And when they get here, they're going to hear the good news. Along with those opportunities to invite, though, we're going to ask you to get involved and to help us with those opportunities, those events. So listen. When God has set you in a lane where he's asking for some help to do something. It may not be a long-term commitment. It may just be one evening or part of a day or something. But look where you can step forward and get into that mission program. Get into that race. Let's also, though, remember the words of Jesus. Let's pray for more harvesters because they're really needed. And then let's pray for the work that they do. That the, work that, that the word that they present will go to work in their hearts. That's gospel running. That's working in the harvest. So you want to buy something from the grocery store. You go and you look for the produce aisle, right? And it is just packed with produce. We are so blessed. And if they're missing something, you know you can just drive down to the next block where the next grocery store is, and they'll probably have it. But what do you think it would be like if no one did the harvesting? If nobody cared about what was being grown out there in those fields? Maybe those shelves would look like this. But you know, I'm not talking about vegetables. I'm talking about people. One of our members who saw this slide 
last night. He said, Pastor, the most impressive thing about your message today was that picture. <laughs> Glad I spent all those hours on everything else. <laughs> but what he said was this, I imagine that was my family. I need to share the gospel with people in my family so that they will know their Savior, Jesus. You see, because we're not talking about vegetables. We're talking about a harvest of people, souls that need to know about Jesus. God has made us ready, and God has set us in a position to do the work. Now let's go. Amen. We can start our work by confessing to God that we have not often done the work he's called us to do. There have been times we've been lax in that. He forgives us and encourages us to go on. Let's pray that now with this prayer. Lord, forgive me for the times I did not answer your call to work in your harvest. Jesus died for all. Give me a heart for the harvest for eternity. Amen. And God will do that. Because as much as he loves you in Jesus who died for all of your sins, so much he loves this whole world and has called us to go into that harvest field. God bless us in that work. Amen. At this time, I would invite you to fill out a welcome worshiper card. When you have finished filling that out, please pass it, or rather put it in the offering plate as that comes past you this morning. With uh, thankful hearts and with hearts motivated to support the work of the harvest, let's gather our offering.
Let's join our hearts in prayer. Jesus, you are the Lord of the harvest of souls. You came into this world to save sinners such as us. You endured the work and the suffering so that people would be saved for eternity. And now you have called us to be the harvesters, to spread your saving gospel message all over the world. Bless the work we do as individuals to the people who are in our lives and those that we meet around us. Remind us of how important it is that we work to make small talk into big talk about your love for them. Bless the work that we do as a congregation. Through our various ministries and our schools, you have given us opportunities to share the word. Move us to step into this harvest field and do the work. You have told us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. We see that in our church body. We pray that you would turn the hearts of more people to answer your call to train for and serve in the public ministry, that our classrooms will have teachers and our churches will have pastors. 